Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. And Jeff, I'm sorry I'm a little a little late, but go ahead and take it away. Good afternoon. This is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. As Drew said, I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. We have the full complement today. Joe works in Elmira, New York. Hey, Joe. Wave at Hi. the people. Hi, Jeff. Jay Spires in Fishers, Indiana, who hey, is back with us after welcoming a new little girl into the world. That's right. And uh, Michael M Michael Zhang, who is with us again today, was with us for the first time last week. I think we've got him for another week or two. So uh, we're going to be talking, uh, continuing our study of the book of Acts today. And just to kind of do a quick catch up, I'll do the quick catch up today, I guess. We have um, followed the work works of the apostles, especially Peter and then Paul through the book of Acts. Uh, when we get to Paul's work, we see him traveling with Barnabas. And then there's the controversy concerning circumcision and keeping the law. And then after that, we see Paul traveling with Silas. And then after that, we see Paul making a, a third trip. And on the third trip, he's especially raising money uh, from some of the saints in the Gentile lands to take back to Jerusalem and um, provide it for the benefit of needy saints in Jerusalem. When he gets there, um, he is exhorted by the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem to prove that the calumny of uh, some of the brethren in Judea is false. They have been accusing Paul of saying that Jews should not keep the customs of Moses, should quit circumcising their children, and so on. It's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that Gentiles are not obligated to do those things. And as a matter of fact, all those things are going to go away fairly soon. But Paul was not faulting Jews for doing those things. And so they encouraged Paul to participate in some of those things, uh, along with the Jewish brethren, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, so that everybody would know that what they'd heard was not true. And so Paul is going to be at charges and apparently ends up participating in taking uh, a vow according to the law of Moses. I think it's the Nazarite vow of number six um, with some of the Jewish brethren, which requires then them to go down to the temple. There's some sacrifices involved. And when they go down there, Paul is falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the areas in the temple where Gentiles were not allowed. So some of the Jews not believers, no doubt, uh, attack Paul and are beating him. Claudius Lysias, the Roman captain, comes down from the barracks that are just outside the walls of the temple complex, tries to put, put things in order, takes Paul into custody, mistakenly assumes Paul is some assassin from Egypt. Um, Paul persuades him that's not who he is. And so Paul is given an opportunity to speak to the Jews from the steps of the Roman barracks, which he does, and they listen to him until he says something about being sent to the Gentiles. And the Jews don't want to hear anything about Gentiles participating in the kingdom of God. And so they, there's an uproar. And so the chief captain has to figure out, okay, how am I going to find out what the real problem is here? So he uh, brings Paul to the Jewish council, and that doesn't go all that well. Well, it does for Paul because Paul simply affirms that he is there because of his preaching the resurrection. He's a Pharisee and has always believed in the resurrection. Well, the council that was inquiring of him or that was bringing charges against him was split, made up of some Pharisees and some Sadducees. So then they get in amongst them and an argument amongst themselves. And so the chief captain takes Paul out of that situation. 
So eventually the Jews decide to come up with a plot. They're going to kill Paul. If they can get the chief captain to transport Paul one more time to their council, they're going to uh, they're going to uh, ambush him en route and kill him. But this plot is exposed, and so the chief captain sends uh, Paul to Caesarea, and he sends him to Felix, the governor. And that's where we get to at the end of chapter 23. And so we're in verse 31, and we just read the letter that Claudius Lysias, the Roman captain, sent to the governor, Felix, uh, about this Paul. And then verse 31 says, So the soldiers, as it was commanded them, to Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle. And they, when they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, presented Paul also before him. When he had read it, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I'll hear you fully, he said, when your accusers also are come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's palace. So now what we're waiting on are the Jewish accusers to come before the governor and accuse Paul. And we'll see how this goes. Guys, anything else you want to say in terms of just a kind of a review? No, I think, again, we see the beginning of uh, or continuation of the events that transpire in Paul's life are similar to that which had happened to Jesus. Um, when Jesus had gone before Pilate, he inquired what province he was from. He heard that yep. he was from Galilee, and uh, then he was sent to Herod. And uh, same thing, a very similar statement is made here in verse 34. And so we'll see him go from the governor eventually to uh, a Herodian uh, relative as well. So it's just kind of interesting to, to follow that pattern. Mm -hmm. And his clarification that he was from Cilicia, would that come from a standpoint of Oh, you're from a Roman citizen, or you're a Roman citizen. You're from a Roman colony, so we're going to make sure we do this the right way. Is that is that why you think it's mentioned here? Uh, I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Okay, um, sorry, that was off the cuff. Not yeah, may be. I'm not sure that I'm not sure. I'm not sure on what basis Paul had his Roman citizenship. Obviously, had something to do with his birth. Um, back yeah, he was born born into it back in chapter twenty-two. Yeah. Yeah, and and it may be it may have to do with Cilicia had certain privileges, but I I actually don't remember that off the top of my head. Joe, do you remember? I, I don't know of any connection uh, for for Festus at this point. We're 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 talking about Felix right here. Okay, sorry, Joe, are you I, there? I, I said that wrong for for Felix. I, I don't I, I don't know of any connection. Sorry, it's it's going to cut out again. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I don't know of any connection. Yeah, I think I think we I think we um, yeah I think we had a miscommunication. You were coming in, cutting in and out there, and I expect you're not hearing us all the time. Is that right? No, I'm I'm, I'm able to hear you. It's fine. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get to chapter 24. And if one of you guys want to introduce chapter 24 to us, take us how far you think we need to go. Go ahead, Michael. All right. 24. Yep. And after five days, the high priest Ananias uh, came down with some elders and a spokes spokesman, one Tert Tertullus. They laid before the governor the case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being 
are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. We have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in this charge, affirming that all these things were so. Okay. All right. Observations, guys. Uh, some clear buttering up here going on with <laughs> yeah. uh, a little flattery. Both Tertullus, the high priest. I mean, everybody definitely wants to be on Felix's good side. And I think you also, just another observation for me at least, you kind of see the difference between the, the Jews know what cards to play depending on who they're around. Um, and so obviously their, their big ultimate problem with Paul is jealousy. Joe's been drawing those parallels between Paul and Jesus really well with that. Right. Right. But they can't show up to Felix and say, well, we're just jealous of him. They're not going to do that. Well, they're equally not going to show up to Felix and, and try to make some kind of case that what Paul is preaching is blasphemy according to their law. And so we should be able to kill him. What they're really trying to get Felix to realize is, I think, there in verse um, uh, in verse five, we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, yeah. and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He's trying yeah. to paint it as Paul's just this guy who's going to lead a revolt if if we continue to allow him to do what he's been doing. And so that's the angle they're taking with Felix, but this is not the real beef with Paul. I, that's exactly right. They're trying to put this in terms that would be of concern to a Roman governor. Yes. And so you don't want an insurrectionist in, in your uh, jurisdiction. Um, calls it so, the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Yeah, and, and the word ringleader is even a, a military term, if I understand that right, uh, to uh, describe somebody who's going to cause this sedition. Yes. And why Nazarenes? Yeah, it's interesting. So Peter talks about Jesus of Nazareth, right? In yep. two or four or five, maybe one of those well, three. Chapter, yeah, chapter two, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, the man approved of God unto you in chapter two, verse 22. Of course, Nazareth is where Jesus was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And so... Uh, it was kind of a way to identify where Jesus was from, and uh, they didn't have last names in the same way we did. And so it looks like at this point, the Nazarenes, uh, because Christians had, had such a big following at this point, it, it looks like Nazarene kind of tied back to Jesus just because of how popular his name had been at this point. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, it, it's just interesting to me that they... I guess they hired this guy, but they've got a professional orator to present the case right. against Paul. Um, yeah, I did have a question about that, Jeff. So my translation says he calls him a lawyer there. Um, should we be envisioning that the same way we would see a lawyer today? You said more like an orator. Yeah. So you're 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 you are probably you're probably familiar with the term rhetoric or rhetorician rhetor i can't even say it in english um but somebody who engages in rhetoric we we use the rhetoric the term preteric we use the term rhetoric prejudicially to mean um argumentative but substantiveless 
uh, speech. That's the way we often use it. But in ancient Greece, rhetoric <coughs> was one of the highest forms of, of persuasion. Um, and this guy is called a praetorist, which is the, the term you would apply to a person who engages in rhetoric. And so that's that's what he is. He's he's a speechifier who is skilled in presenting an argument. That's that would be the idea. That's really cool. All right. So I'll have anything to worry about since he's going up against such a such a, a professional. Say, say, say that again, Michael. Would Paul have anything to worry about knowing that he's going up against such a professional? You, you know, that's a good question. So Joe's got a, Joe's got a comment. Yeah, the, the truth always wins. You know, I, I think that's what any time that we would find ourselves in a similar situation, we may face ourselves at times being uh, uh, you know, in a debate, so to speak, against somebody who is quite eloquent and really knows his way around a, a debate table or whatever. All we're going to do is rely on the truth. And uh, I, I think that we have to come back to, to that idea. Yeah, and I think this is a perfect place to tie in what Paul himself writes over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, the Corinthians were people who naturally were inclined to arguments that sounded like great wisdom, philosophical arguments. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse uh, 1 and 2, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I, I think Joe makes a good point, And sometimes we get tempted to um, really lower ourselves and get down into um, the arena of of squabbling with somebody using human wisdom tactics. Um, Paul, Paul did miracles. He could demonstrate, I'm speaking from the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God in written form. We can turn to the Scriptures and we can say, here's what the, the Word of God says. And if somebody doesn't believe it's the Word of God, we have the evidence right there in our hands. We, we can develop the case. But we need to keep in mind, it's not in us, it's not in our ability to outmaneuver somebody, it's in our ability to put our trust in the Word of God, or let's just say it's 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 the Word of God. Yeah. Very good. All right, uh, let's go on. Uh, well, what do you guys want to pick? Like, yeah, uh, I think it's interesting that they start with this idea of him being a plague or a pest. Um, it almost seems childish, but correct me, Jeff, uh, or others uh, on the word here it really carries forth the idea of a worthless or a scoundrel. And, and it would sort of be something to, to, to preface these other things. This guy is untrustworthy. Um, it's the word in the, uh, the Septuagint to describe Eli's sons. Um, it's translated, you know, the, the passages that talk about scoundrels in uh, the Proverbs. Uh, scoundrels destroying the city and so forth. Um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it really is kind of an effective way to uh, malign him before getting into the the details that they want to. 
and so again i think you sort of see the weakness of their position uh, they have to just kind of resort to name calling here from the very beginning yep so then then we get to verse 10 uh chase why don't you pick it up in verse 10 and the governor motioned for him to speak paul replied because i know you have been a judge for this nation for many years i'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me you can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since i went up to worship in jerusalem they didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me but i admit this to you i worship the god of my ancestors according to the way which they call a sect believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets i have a hope in god which these men themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous i always strive to have a clear conscience toward god and men after many years i came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people and while i was doing this some jews from asia found me ritually purified in the temple and without a crowd and without any uproar and it is they who ought to be here because uh, before you to bring these charges if they have anything against me or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when i stood before the sanhedrin other than this one statement i shouted while standing among them today i am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead so there's a whole lot in this section. The first thing that I, I just want to comment on, we talked about how Tertullus was um, flattering uh, uh, Felix. The, this character, Felix, is one that's known to us in secular history, and he does not have a good reputation. He, he is not considered a, a moral man. <clears throat> but they, the Jews come and they flatter him. Paul is respectful. He is a governor, and, and Paul is going to acknowledge his position as a governor. But Paul's statement is very simple. He says in verse 10, I know that you have been many years a judge of this nation. I cheerfully make my defense. You're the judge. You're, you're the official. He doesn't go out of his way to say you're such a wonderful person or anything like that. Now, Paul is not, a, he, he is willing to acknowledge when there's some civil ruler who is, uh, of noble character. For example, Felix's successor is going to be Festus, and Paul will have a chance to stand before Festus in chapter 26. And when Paul speaks before Festus, Paul will say in verse 25 of chapter 26, I am not mad, most excellent Festus. There he refers to Festus and he acknowledges, you're an excellent man. He doesn't do that with, with, with Felix. So one of the things this illustrates is Paul does not engage in um, obsequious flattery. Paul does not engage in insincere flattery. Paul does acknowledge even a, even a, a vile man, even a corrupt man, if he is an official in government, Paul will acknowledge his status. And as a Christian, submissive to God, he's going to be submissive to the rulers of the land. Uh, but he will make a distinction between this in this case, Festus and Felix, when he addresses them. I, I think that's interesting. But there are other things that are even more significant that we need to talk about in this section. What do you guys want to bring out? Well, well I noticed that Paul Go ahead. I, I noticed that Paul um after after providing a simple defense, he uh redirects it right to uh preaching the gospel and um redirects the conversation to Jesus where he 
he makes clear uh, that he's been not only that he's been uh, put on trial because of uh, his proclamation of the resurrection from the dead, but also he makes the case again before them, preaching that um, preaching the good news to them. Right. Good. He he also sort of just goes one uh, line by line to dispute their accusations where they say that he's a plague. He says, I worship the God of my fathers, where they say he's the creator of dissension. He says, I believe everything that's written in the law and the prophets, where they say he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He says, I have hope in God. Yeah, you, you broke up there, Joe, but you're in verse uh, 15 where he, go ahead. I think we got you back. Where they are the neck. I'm I'm losing them. Are you guys uh, able to hear Joe? No, no. Where he's cutting it out. Joe, I think the point you're making. We're we're not hearing you, but I think the point you're making in in verse 15 is uh, where he talks about um, he is he, he is standing before them on account of the resurrection, which his accusers also believe in. They all profess to believe in resurrection. Maybe not the resurrection of Jesus, but they're all professing to believe in resurrection. Try it again, Joe. Uh, so then uh, you have them being the um, trying to profane the temple. He says, I came bringing alms and offerings to my nation. So just that line by line, he rejects and refutes their accusations. That's good. What's he referring to when he says, I came to bring alms to my nation? What's he referring to there? Would that not be the gifts, like like what you were talking about, his fundraising yeah. for uh, for all the for all the saints that were needed there in Jerusalem? Right. It's what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 16 when he tells the Corinthians to lay by in store on the first day of the week, as he gave order also to the churches of Galatia. It's what he referred to in 2 Corinthians in chapters 8 and 9 when he talks about how liberal, how liberally, how generous. How generously the people of Macedonia have given, and he encourages the Corinthians to do the same. God loves a cheerful giver. It's what he refers to in Romans 16 after he gets to Corinth and he writes to the churches at Rome and he says that the saints in Achaia, Macedonia and Achaia have have given these funds and he's got to go to Jerusalem to take them there. It's what he was doing when he came to Jerusalem. He was bringing these funds. Uh, and then he got arrested. And that's going to be significant as we come down in this text. Let's remember that he mentions here to Felix that he had come to Jerusalem to bring money to the saints. Let's keep that in mind, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also, I mean, in verse, uh, in verse 18 and 19, he, he kind of gets into why he was arrested. But he also brings up a really, really good point in verse 19. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me. His accusers aren't even there. He, yeah. The Jews have got a following of people that don't like Paul, and some of them weren't even there to witness the very thing that he's appealing or he's before Felix for. And they so, kind of mailed it in. <laughs> yeah, right? And I, I would hope any judge could look at that and see how ridiculous that is. And so Paul says in verse 20, or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Because uh, he's, he's kind of got a point. Yeah, these people don't know anything. Th these aren't even the ones that were here. 
Now, I, I guess let's move on. I'm kind. I'm sorry that Joe was having difficulties um, staying connected with us when he was going through how he was responding line by line to them because it, it, there's a lot of substance in what Paul is saying in the things Joe was going through there. Uh, but let's come on down to uh, verse 21 where at the end of the reading, Chase, that you read, he says, I, I haven't done anything wrong ex unless it's the fact that I cried standing among them touching the resurrection of the dead. I'm called in question before you this day. And I think there he's alluding to when he had been brought before the council in chapter 23 and he had just made the point. I'm, the, the issue here is the resurrection. Of course, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, now we get to verse 22, but Felix having more exact knowledge concerning the way I remember Luke has been using this term the way Paul used it up in verse 14. They said he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He says, after the way which they call a sect, so serve by the God of our fathers, um, believing all things which are according to law. In other words, I have not abandoned the law of Moses. I have not turned traitor against the law of Moses. I have not disbelieved or rejected the law of Moses. The law of Moses pointed to the very thing that I am proclaiming. Um, and, and so it gets to the end. Verse 22 says, Felix having more exact knowledge concerning the way, how would Felix have knowledge of the way it's going to tell us, um, uh, in just a little bit down in verse 24, how do we find out Felix knows about the way his wife, Drusilla is a Jewish or Jewess. Um, and so I think there's probably a good chance she's heard of it at this point. Um, also yeah. her brother or sorry, her, her, uh, her, her dad was the one who had beheaded James, the apostle, back in Acts 12. Okay, I always have trouble keeping all those relations straight. But yeah, so in Jewish circles, <clears throat> the disciples of Jesus were just regarded as a sect of Judaism. And, and really, apparently, that's also the way that Romans would have looked at them who were familiar with them. This is just a sect of the Jews. And that's what Paul alludes to in verse 14. He says, after the way which they call a sect. Well, Drusilla, the wife of, of Felix, is a Jew. She's a Jewess. And then you made the connection with her father beheading James, the apostle. So Felix is aware of all this. So he knows about these followers of Jesus, this sect of the Jews who are followers of Jesus. So he knows a little bit about this. And so he says, he just puts, puts everything on hold. He says, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I'll determine your matter. So we're going to get the guy who took you into custody in the first place, the chief captain there in the temple. We'll get him down here. We'll figure this out. Hi, Mr. Jeff. Yeah. Uh, so is Felix a Gentile then? Yes, he is. So then would, wouldn't Drusilla have broken the law to marry him? Yeah. Yeah. So... So the Herod, so I've done a deep dive on this. So the Herods were Jewish converts. Um, so they were like pagans, but then they converted to Judaism, starting with Herod the Great, the one who rebuilt the temple um, that Jesus was going into, and, and so were the disciples. But they were very loose Jews. They did not stick to it. They intermarried. They, they certainly didn't keep all the parts of the law. And so they just sympathized with Jews, but they were never really convicted true Jewish people. And so uh, the Jews were all kind of split on how they viewed them. And that's why, you know, you have the Pharisees, but then you had the Herodians as well. And uh, they were Jewish, but they kind of stuck to the Herod side of things. That's a good question, Michael. All right. 
let's go verse 23 through the end of the chapter. It says, He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. And at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him money, so he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. And after two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix. And because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. All right. Several things here that are worth talking about. Where do you want to start? Well, oh, it's nice well. when you have nice somebody's sermon title. Uh, yes. You know, the sermon title is Faith in Christ. And then you've got his three-point lesson in verse 25, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Um, unfortunately, we find Felix not answering the invitation song at this point and uh, dismissing the uh, opportunity. Uh, I, I love this. these three points. They're, they're very simple, very straightforward, and it's a very uh, good example of just the overall message that the world needs. Uh, righteousness. We can't be righteous on our own. The only way we can be made righteous is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Self-control. That's our responsibility now. If, we, uh, if we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, we need to live in the ways of Jesus Christ and control ourselves. Sin is when we follow our own desires and we exalt ourselves as if we are God or our desires are God. But we've got to self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, when we follow the Spirit, then we're going to control our desires and bring them into submission to the will of God. And judgment to come. We're going to be held accountable. Michael's mother is a tour de force. And one of the things is spiritual tour de force. And one of the things she stresses is we need to be talking about judgment to come. I'll often draw my timeline. You all have seen me use the kind of a graphic timeline. You guys may do something similar and usually at the right end of the timeline, I have the cross because I've got the story of the Bible from Genesis up until the New Testament. And, and she keeps stressing that you need to go farther with that timeline and show there's a judgment to come. We're going to be held accountable. Um, and Paul does here. Michael. Yeah, uh, I, reading through these three points reminded me of, of one of the verses, and I can't quite get my head around it, but I'm sure you probably know, Jeff. Um, where it says the Holy Spirit will convict uh, people of, was it, if I'm getting it, if I'm remembering, it's righteousness, sin, and the coming judgment, though I think I might, may have that wrong. but Yeah, yeah, and, and we just talked about this the other day, and, and right now I'm on a blank. Where is that, guys? D John 16, verse 11, or John yep. 16, verse uh, 8 through 11. Yeah, good. So you see those the convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So sin is lack of self-control, righteousness, judgment. Essentially the same same three points there. Hmm. So Great connection, good. Michael. Thank you. Uh, what verse was it again? John 16, 16 8 through 11. Thank you. So he itemizes the three and then he develops them in verses 9, 10, and 11. Hmm. 
All right. Um, the other thing I wanted to notice here is uh, Felix is terrified when he hears Paul preach this, but he's not willing to do anything about it. He is willing to hear Paul more and more, but what is it he's looking for as he continues to hold Paul in custody? He doesn't move the case forward. He doesn't convict and he doesn't acquit. He doesn't release. He just keeps Paul in custody and keeps saying, well, Paul, come talk to me some more. What's his agenda? Oh, I know this because uh, Jeff told me this before. So I'll just tell you guys what Jeff said, which is that. <laughs> <laughs> so Felix, um, when uh, when Paul told uh, was before uh, was before Felix and said that he's he came to bring alms and offerings. So Felix knows that Paul has money with him. So he's hoping to get a bribe from Paul and hopefully get some of the money. Yeah, yeah so I, I have some questions about that because, like, I would imagine Felix was paid quite handsomely in the position he was in. So it was no small amount of money Paul must have had if he's hoping to get some from him. Right, right. It must um, have been a lot because he went to he went to a lot of cities. I don't know how many, but he went all throughout the the churches that he previously established. Yeah, so in 1 Corinthians 16, when he tells the Corinthians to be setting aside money, he says, as I gave order to the churches of Galatia, so also do you. So you might think Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and then he's in it, he's in Ephesus when he writes that, so church at Ephesus. Then he goes to Macedonia, and he does collect money from the churches in Macedonia, and you might think Philippi and Thessalonica and uh, Berea, and, and then he goes to Achaia, and of course you've got the church at Corinth and church at Sincrea, and so uh, a, quite a number of churches, uh, brethren in, in various churches have contributed money, and so he's come with this money, he's mentioned this money in Acts chapter 24 and verse 17 when he said, I came to bring alms to my nation, so Fest, Felix apparently picks up on that, and he says, this guy has connections, he can get money, and he's hoping to get a bribe. Just a clarification. And we're not suggesting that he still has that money, right? Right. Okay. He, he would have given that money to the elders or taking care of that back in chapter 21. Uh, as soon as he gets there, right. he's not going to hold on to that any longer than necessary. But again, he's known for being able to get hold of money. And so right. uh, there's an incentive. Exactly. Yeah. And th thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. Good. It's also... Uh, uh, interesting how Felix uh, kept Paul, not for him speaking about God, but for money. And we remember in Luke, uh, Jesus said, you cannot love both God and money. Yep. And so so Felix clearly had made his choice. It, it yeah. wasn't God, it was money. Mm -hmm. You know what I think I read over every time? Paul was there for two years in verse right. 27. Right, right. So back up. So back up to verse 11. When, when he stands before Felix and the Jews have this order to come, Paul says, uh, it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship at Jerusalem. So he arrived in Jerusalem, and in short order, he goes to the temple, and then 12 days, with less than 12, or no more than 12 days after that, he is to the point where he's standing before Felix. And then he sits there in his custody another two years. Um, so, so everything that happened with Claudius Lysias and and the plot and all, all of that 
within less than two weeks time. And so now we get to the end of chapter 24, jump ahead two and years. Festus is replaced by Felix. I'm sorry, he, Felix replaced by Festus. And Paul is in Caesarea or Jerusalem? At this point, he's in Caesarea. At you this think, point, he'd been okay. transported to Caesarea by that large armed guard. Right, right. The Claudius right. Lysias right. had him in Jerusalem when the, he found out about the plot to ambush Jesus, uh, ambush Paul, if Paul were brought before the council. He sends him with that large armed guard to Caesarea. Oh, right, okay. To the custody of, of, um, of Felix. And now Festus right. comes into office. And 